0: This episode of Untold Killing contains graphic descriptions of violence and mature themes. Please listen with discretion.
1: I remember it was July 10th. I was uh, outside of my building and it was a normal situation, as it can be called that way, because there were frequent shelling and shootings in Srebrenica and uh, I was outside with friends. Then I saw a huge crowd of people running for their lives and shouting in many voices that the town was falling and I thought that that very minute the town would fall and that I had to run Uh, and I got in in that crowd and I started running with uh, thousands of scared civilians and I remember exactly what I was thinking Uh, I thought that that was the day of judgment because um, we were running somewhere to try to save our lives, and there was no uh, way out. Wherever you would go, you would go straight into their hands. So somehow, I got to the end of town, and a river of refugees was pouring in that part of town around the hospital and the Dutch base there. And uh, somebody put a radio on the window from the outside, and on that radio show, military officers of the Bosnian Serb army were talking about revenge. Uh, They were speaking about how they will conquer the whole place, how, I mean, with with such anger that it really did scare me. And uh, a man who was also listening to the radio show was, very very afraid and he gave a comment that we are all finished, that they will kill us all. So uh, I still hoped that a miracle will happen, that we will somehow stay in Sri and survive.
0: Throughout the following day, the 11th of July, it became obvious that the town would not be saved. In the face of this, each and every Boschniak had to weigh up their options and choose the one way they thought would give them the best chance of surviving the fall of Srebrenica.
1: My mother, my younger brother, my grandparents from the mother's side, they went to Potocari. Me and my twin brother, my father, my uncle, we took the other way through the forest.
0: 15,000 Bosnian Muslims, mostly men but also many women, made the decision to walk from Srebrenica through the hills and forests of eastern Bosnia to Tuzla, the closest safe city. It later became known as the Death March. From Message Heard and Remembering Srebrenica, this is Untold Killing. I'm Alexandra Bilic. The man whose voice you heard at the start of this episode is called Hasan Hasanovic.
1: I'm from Srebrenica. I'm a survivor of the genocide.
0: He was one of the many thousands of Bosniaks who, on the 11th of July, had to make the decision of either remaining in Potocari or trying to escape the Bosnian-Serb army through the woods in the night. In the last episode, you heard the story of the men and women who stayed at the UN base. This week, it's the story of those who chose another path. They all knew it was going to be dangerous, that they would be hunted, but they still thought they would have a better chance of getting out alive than if they stayed.
1: We knew that the Bosnian Serb army had no mercy. They showed no mercy right at the beginning of the war and so... We knew that everyone who is older than 14, any male going to Potocari, you know, would put his life on the stake and would be separated.
0: But it wasn't just the Bosnian Serb soldiers they were afraid of. With the UN having been so overpowered by the Bosnian Serbs, the Bosniaks were doubtful about how much protection the UN could actually give them.
2: If I decided to go to the UN base, they just... uh would uh, hand over me to the Serb forces as they did with my other relatives.
0: And this is Nejad.
2: My name is Nejad Avdic and uh, I'm coming from Srebrenica and uh, I'm uh, one of survivor survivors of the genocide in Bosnia and Srebrenica and uh, in fact I survived as a 17-year-old boy. I remember the words of my father when he said to me, it's up to you. You can go to the UN base in Fotochari or you can go with me. You have to decide. It is your life. And uh, immediately I said to him, I'm going with you.
0: Both Nejad and Hassan were just boys when they had to make this decision. How old were you when this was happening?
1: Yeah, I was I was 19, 19-year-old.
0: 19 we spoke to Hassan on the phone at his office and to Nejad at his home, so you may hear some noises in the background as they tell their stories. The walk ahead of Hassan, Nejad and all the other Bosniaks was long and demanding. They'd have to go through Bosnian-Serb territory, through areas covered in landmines, and the almost 100-kilometre trek across the wood, crisscrossed by rivers, streams and hills, would take days and days of constant marching. News of the plan spread across Srebrenica, and it became known that on the 11th of July, men would be meeting on a hill some 15 kilometres north of Srebrenica, from where they would set off in the night.
1: We got to one of the hills. When we got there, we waited for hours and hours. Thousands of men and boys were coming there to that hill. My father was very worried and I could tell that, you know, by looking at his face. Everyone was worried and, you know, crying and um, confused. And people were trying to stick together with their family members and try to think, you know, what is coming ahead. the
2: situation was chaotic chaos were everywhere around us i remember that there were many animals there many horses there they just wanted to push them forward to activate minefields because srebrenica was surrounded by minefields and they wanted to push them to activate that how people could survive and how could they go through the minefields.
0: Men were trickling in onto the hill during the course of the entire afternoon and the group waited until night time so that as many men as possible would be able to join.
1: We were just, you know, dreaming to get to Tuzla and to reunite with our families and, and start to live our lives again. My uncle said that it was best to stay in the middle of the column of walking men and boys, rather than to go in the rear or up front. And um, these were literally our last moments together.
0: Darkness had already set in over the forest. Men were nervously milling about, horses neighing, perhaps just as nervous as their owners. Bosniaks knew that Srebrenica had fallen. From the hill, they could even hear the two bombs a NATO plane had dropped earlier that day. They'd waited for hours and they had to leave soon. Everyone who wanted to, and was able to, would have arrived at the meeting place by now. But before the men were able to start marching as planned, the Bosnian Serb army forced their hand.
1: The shooting started around midnight and um, from everywhere. The Bosnian Serbs were
0: determined not to let the Bosniaks get away. They found out where they were meeting, and from the hills around, where they had a clear view of the column of Bosnian Muslims waiting to go, they started shooting at them and shelling them.
1: And then in that commotion, I lost physical contact with my father, my twin brother, my uncle, and I never saw them ever again, even though I I tried to look back to find them. We got scattered around and I couldn't find them anymore. Maybe it's even better because, you know, I it would be even more difficult to live with the memories of those firewalls.
2: Then I'm losing my father because of chaos, because of stampedo, because of trying to hide somewhere to protect myself from the shelling. And uh, at that
0: moment, I'm losing my father. In the hail of bullets and shells coming at them from every direction, thundering and flashing in the dark, both Hassan and Nejad got separated from their families, alone and lost, among 15,000 men, all of them running for their lives.
2: And I remember that I was calling for him. Daddy, daddy, where are you? I'm calling from him. At that moment, I didn't know anyone and I just, I was crying and calling for him but in vain and no one could help me. And there are so many similar boys who did the same at the time. And. Uh I just was trying to catch anyone or to ask anyone to help me, to take me, but no one did want to take me, and everyone would say, you will stay, you, you will remain later, you are small, you can stay in the end of the column, and
0: in the end I remained and I stayed there. After the Bosnian Serbs' attack started and he lost track of his father, Nejad didn't want to go into the forest and start walking to Tuzla alone. Like the others told him to, He hid at the edge of the woods and waited there through the whole night, hoping that he would find his father, so that they could walk together. Hassan, who was in the middle of the crowd, following the advice of his uncle, got swept up during the chaos of the attack, and he set off on the march straight away, around midnight.
1: As they were shooting, I tried to push forward, and we lost the contact with the front, and... um some boys were crying and there were lots of mines on both sides of that path through which we were walking and somehow we got to a meadow it was being targeted by the Bosnian army, and we all had to run across the meadow because everything around was mined so it was under fire so we would line up and then start running at once together By doing that, there would be a better chance to survive and not to be hit. So we somehow crossed the meadow and uh, I got into a ditch and I stayed there for a while. Then, you know, I got out and started walking and I was walking with men and boys who I personally didn't know. And uh, then the shooting resumed again and the bullets were hitting nearby tree trunks and Getting closer and closer to me and hitting the tree trunks around me and I was so scared. I thought that they were so close and I was just, you know, imagining what they would do to me before they kill me. I was afraid that they would, you know, torture me. And you know, I've heard stories of prisoners during the war being tortured, you know, their ears were you know being chopped off. And I was also thinking that I was too young to die and that I would never see my brothers, my my parents. And uh, because of that fear, I lost my strength. I threw away my backpack. Even my jacket was heavy on me, so I took it off and I threw it away. And uh, I remember when I was a little boy, my grandfather was pretty old and sick, and he said that he was, I quote, all in pain. Even my shirt is hurting me and as a little boy I couldn't understand how a shirt could hurt you and this is when I felt that every piece of clothing on me was heavy. The march
0: couldn't have started much worse. Barely having survived the first night, Hassan and the group around him had to keep walking ahead.
1: On the 12th of July, we walked probably 30 kilometres. The shooting could be heard, but in distance. Heavy artillery explosions rolling across, but in distance, pretty far from us.
0: Compared to the first night of walking, the first full day was a little bit calmer for Hassan, with the Bosnian Serbs presence only audible in the distance. But for Nejad, This was the day he finally entered the forest along with everyone else who decided to wait like he did. He was at the end of this column of men. Now, after the attack of the night before, the mass of men broke up into several parts. The front and middle parts, the majority of the men, had a head start and were already in the forest. And so you shouldn't imagine the column as an actual column a row of men walking one behind the other. That was the original intention. That's how they lined up on the hill the night before. But as soon as they got attacked, all order disappeared. And the march turned into tens, if not hundreds, of smaller clusters of Bosniaks walking through the forest together.
2: It was 3 uh, p.m. on 12 July when I uh, found myself in the forest It was a relatively peaceful period because Sir Fawcett didn't discover the direction of the column at that moment. The column was so long and I couldn't see the first part of the column and the people behind me. I just saw the line in in front and behind me and uh, I have to be in line. I couldn't go anywhere. Because of mines, it was possible to step on the mine and activate mine. But soon after that, the column was discovered and the surf forces started artillery fire. And already at that moment, people were dead around me and uh, many of them were wounded. And uh, later, I am starting to recognize my school friends and uh, some of my neighbors from... uh, Refugee camp and uh, after that every step was a horror and real hell for everyone who found himself there
0: And what was the first night of the march like? Were you able to even go to sleep? That is uh, uh, that was
2: uh, Unimaginable Because of so many crying everywhere around us and uh, screaming and everything. People are dying everywhere around uh, you, and uh, at that moment, you just want to be killed or to to go from from that place. I accepted that fact that I could be killed immediately, and uh, maybe I would be lucky to be killed because it was an unbearable situation and unbearable moments for me because
0: It it was a real horror. It was only the 12th of July, and all parts of the column had already, at multiple points in their journey, narrowly escaped near certain death. Knowing the Bosnian Serbs were at their heels at every step, they couldn't afford to even sleep at night. They just kept on marching through the darkness. And around the time the sun was rising early on the 13th of July, the Bosnian Serbs had also caught up to the middle of the column where Hasan was.
1: It was dawn around early in the morning on the 13th, around three, four o'clock early in the morning. Somebody hit my shoulder and said, Hasan, there is a tank. So I realised that I was walking and sleeping at the same time because that was the fourth night with no sleep. The soldiers from that tank, they didn't see us because it was completely dark.
0: The Bosnian Serb army were patrolling the road to Tuzla, knowing that to get to Tuzla, the Bosniaks would have to pass through there. Beyond the road was a river, and beyond the river, a hill that they had to walk across on their way to free territory.
1: The tank passed through the road, and then we crossed the road, we crossed the river. I barely swam over the river. When I got to the shore, the lack of sleep was literally killing me and uh, I wanted to have a nap. Somebody was passing and said to me, you know, Hassan, if you fall asleep, they'll find you and they will kill you. So these words woke me up a little bit. So I continued to walk the mountain, which is um, as high as 1,040 meters. So I I climbed the mountain and I got on on the top of the mountain around noon that day and I spent the entire day and afternoon there. You know, we were waiting for the other men and boys to catch up from the rear.
0: That road was cut off completely by the Bosnian Serbs early in the morning. After Hassan and the men he was walking with managed to slip past the blockade around dawn, no one else would be able to get through anymore. On the other side of this blockade was the rear part of the column, and with them,
2: It was on on the 13th of July, it happened a huge massacre and uh, a huge killing in the column because the column was cut. We were found ourselves in the the middle of forest and uh, we didn't know where to go. And uh, the forces, they were on the hills and they had a clear overview of the situation and they wanted to capture all of us and to kill all of
0: us. After they cut that part of the column off, and knowing that the thousands of men were trapped in the forest, the Bosnian Serbs started shelling them. I
2: remember that I was walking over dead bodies, and uh, I recognised some of my neighbours from refugee camp. I didn't recognise anyone from my relatives. And uh, I was trying to hide uh, somewhere in the the woods, and uh, I see some people were crying. Uh, They were sitting beside their Killed relatives, and uh, it is it is a real real hell, real hell on this world. And uh, soon after that, I I could hear the a loudspeaker, and uh, I could hear sub soldiers were saying something over loudspeaker. At that moment, I I couldn't hear very well, but after that, the words became clearer and. Uh, I realized that they're calling us to get out, to surrender.
0: The Bosnian Serb soldiers decided to try and lure the Bosniaks out of the woods rather than blindly shelling them. The Muslim men were exhausted, and many of them gave themselves up. There are videos of the Bosnian Serb soldiers calling out to the Bosniaks over loudspeakers and of men coming out of the woods. Perhaps the most famous of these videos captures a father who had surrendered to the Bosnian Serbs, called Ramo Osmanovic. He was forced by the Bosnian Serbs to call out to his son, Nemin, to come out of the woods and to tell him that it was safe with the Serbs. He is out on a meadow, looking unhealthily skinny, his grey T-shirt flowing about his body in the breeze. The Bosnian Serb soldiers are standing next to him on the road and in the background there are more Muslim men sitting on the grass. He keeps calling for his son and he is then told to also shout for all the Bosniaks in the woods to come out. He does so over and over again. Both Ramo and his son, Nemin would be executed later on. But before that, the Bosnian Serbs threatened the men to try and get them to surrender themselves.
2: I uh, had a fear when they started to, to call us and uh, threatened us that we would be killed uh, if we don't get out from the forest, if we don't surrender, we, we didn't want to get out, we didn't want to surrender.
0: When, after a few hours, a lot of the Muslim men still remained in the forest, the Bosnian Serbs changed tactics. They started making promises.
2: They clearly promised that they will not kill us, promising that they would be treated according to all the Geneva conventions. And I remember that words very, very well.
0: He held out until the afternoon. But then Nejad decided to surrender at last.
2: I didn't know where to go. I didn't know the road. Uh, I knew I had to go to Vertuzla, but uh, in Tuzla in which direction was, I didn't know. We started to move after the promises given by the Serb forces and the police officers that they would not kill us.
0: Nejad and the men he was with walked out of the forest and onto the road. The Bosnian Serbs were there, waiting for them with tanks and trucks. Nejad estimated that in total, around one to 2,000 men were out on that road, giving in to the Bosnian Serb army.
2: At that moment they didn't uh, curse us, they behaved uh, correctly, if I can say so, because they wanted all of people to, to get out. Until that moment, they behaved correctly. But soon after that, when the people... Uh, left the, the forest and uh, when we were on the, on the road uh, in, in the lines and uh, with the wounded people in front of us, they started with their tortures.
0: Once most of the men came out of the woods, rather than transporting them, the Bosnian Serbs told them to run alongside the Bosnian Serb trucks, for kilometres on end. While running, Nejad remembers seeing a man beaten to death by the soldiers on the side of the road and then later on seeing long lines of buses and trucks driving in the opposite direction
2: then i recognized the the refugees from uh, Potocari, from srebrenica on the trucks in the on the buses and uh, i remember that i recognized my school mate uh, and uh, that the refugees were recognizable that they are from uh, srebrenica from Potocari, because they were dirty they were really uh, they were refugees and uh, some women and some children were crying because they recognized uh, maybe their fathers, their brothers amongst
0: us. Nejad was on the other side of the memory that Kadahotit remembered, of being bust out of Srebrenica, looking out of the window and seeing hundreds of men running or kneeling, hoping she wouldn't recognize her son among them. Later on, the men were finally allowed to stop running, and they were made to wait in a meadow, By the side of the road they'd just been running along. Looking around him at the faces of all these men with whom he had lived through the last hours, days of misery, it struck him. There were so many of them there.
2: No one could kill so many people. Who who could kill so many people? Of course, as an individual, I had a fear for my life, but no one could imagine that they could kill all of us so many people to kill, no one could believe that.
0: They stayed at the side of this road for a few hours, the entire afternoon and the early evening. During these hours, many of the wounded Bosniak men were shot on the spot, while the others were forced to kneel on the ground with their hands behind their backs and with their heads pressed into the grass so that they couldn't witness the killings. Once these roadside executions were carried out, the surviving men were all told to get into trucks that were waiting for them there. They rode on the trucks long enough that it had started to get dark. They had no idea where they were being driven. But at the end of the ride, through a hole in the tarp at the back of the truck, Nejad recognised the landscape of the town where the column of trucks had stopped. It was Bratunac, a town not far from Srebrenica, where his uncle had lived.
2: It was evening, but the lights were everywhere around in the town when we arrived. And it was the first time for me, after more than three years, to see the light, because we had left without the light at the beginning of the war when the Serb authorities cut electricity and uh, we didn't have electricity all the period of the war, and it was first time for me to see the light. and. Um, the column of the trucks were waiting all the night in the center of Bratunac.
0: Nejad spent the night between the 13th and 14th of July in the back of an overcrowded truck. While that same night, Hassan was waiting at the top of the hill for the back part of the column, the group of men that Nejad was part of, to catch up.
1: And they were not catching up. They were not catching up. So uh, we decided to head to Tuzla.
0: After the break, it's the second half of Hassan's and Nejad's journey to freedom. Once Hassan and the group of men he was with understood that the back part of the column wasn't coming, they decided to start walking again in the night. They were desperate to get to Tuzla as soon as possible.
1: It was. Dark, so we had to hold our hands tight to make sure that we don't get lost in the dark. And uh, we had scouts, you know, to go uh, up front and scout if they uh, set up an ambush.
0: The scouts came back saying that up ahead the Bosnian Serbs were waiting for them. The men had to keep walking ahead, but at least this time they knew what to expect. When they got near to where the Bosnian Serbs were, they hid in a stream that was winding through the forest but the army attacked them anyway.
1: I was in a stream and I put my face against the ground. I felt something like gas. So they, uh, we call them smoking shells. They used shells without sharp but with sort of like a nerve gas, which uh, made people to hallucinate. And I saw so many men going so violent, uh, taking off their clothes. Some were saying that they see food, houses, family members. Some men were calm but they would take the other men and tell them that they knew the way to Tuzla so they took them into the hands of Bosnian Serb army. And I mean such a big chaos and I saw that the paramedics from Srebrenica Hospital, who were also in the death march, tried to calm some of these men and boys down, but uh, it was impossible because they they had simply no medications. And uh, when you speak to the survivors of the death march, they will all tell you about this uh, particular event. I was afraid to sleep that night in that stream because I was afraid that everybody would leave and I would be left there and would fall asleep and nobody would take care of me, wake me up, and I tried to keep myself awake, which was really, really difficult. And all the time I was trying to find somebody who I would stick to, you know, somebody who would take care of me.
0: Hassan spent a sleepless night in that stream. It was the morning of the 15th of July now, and Hassan had already survived three ambushes. But the march was relentless, and so were the Bosnian Serbs.
1: Early in the morning, we started walking again, and um, then another ambush was set up, and they were shooting from everywhere, and we we were told to be quiet. Then I got to the ground, and they were shooting from everywhere, and I heard voices of soldiers, Serb soldiers, many voices trying to scare us off i stayed on the on the ground for 3 hours then to the left side i saw men getting on their feet and running and then i that's what i did but uh, before i started to run i would lift my head and i would see soldiers like 30 meters from us shooting at us and at this time i was not afraid anymore and i remember a man he was in his late 40s he was crying you know I got on my feet, started to run. but from one of the mountains I saw like lightning, you know, I knew that it was from heavy weapons. I got on the ground for protection and uh, boy, he might be 14, 15, you know, right in front of me. His uh, foot was hit and blown off. And he was yelling, crying, screaming right in front of my face. And uh, then, you know, they were shooting from everywhere, and men and boys around me were being hit with bullets and, and falling down. And I was just waiting for my bullet to hit me. And I remember I would just pray. I said, "Please, God, let me reach those two houses. I saw, you know, in, in not far the two houses. You know, if I reach the two houses, I will survive." And you know. I got there and I was, you know, I was not hit, which was a big, big miracle. And when I got there, with a group of survivors, uh, we sneaked out and got through a stream, another stream and before dark, you know, it started to pouring rain and it was so foggy.
0: He was cold and wet in the forest, having survived yet another ambush, but he was still not safe, not yet.
1: And that night, you know, after a couple of hours, we decided to press forward, just to move on, and we kept walking.
0: After four days and four nights of unrelenting walking, Hassan was finally into the final stretch of the march to Tuzla. But for Nejad, all hope of reaching free territory had dissipated after his capture two days before. He'd spent that entire first night after being taken prisoner in a Bosnian-Serb truck parked in the middle of Bratunets, crowded in the back with the other Bosniaks who'd also surrendered. On the following day, the 14th of July, the long line of trucks packed with Muslims began moving again. They still had no idea where they were being taken, but some of the men kept holding on to the hope that they were being returned to their families. It was another hot Bosnian summer day.
2: It was July, over 30 degrees of Celsius outside, and you can imagine how it was in the mass of the people on the overcrowded truck. We were without water. People were taking and drinking their own urine, and uh, I just remembered that I survived. uh, thanking to the one small hole on the canvas, and I was breathing. I remember when we were moving through town of Zvornik along the Drina River and uh, many of people were swimming in the Drina River. Some of them uh, looking at uh, the trucks and the column of trucks and buses without uh, words, without anything. Uh, but other would uh, saying uh, bad things. Some of them cursed us. Also, I remember set up children with bicycles beside the column of trucks as I with my friends was on the trucks taken to the death and the mass executions in a few hours.
0: Then the trucks arrived at their destination, a local school, not dissimilar to the one these men would have gone to themselves as children. They were forced off the trucks and into the school. There were so many trucks filled with Bosniak prisoners that they took up the entirety of the building. Each classroom was brimming with men and boys, awaiting for hours whatever was to come next.
2: As soon as night fell, they started with the mass shooting. All the time I heard the orders from Serb soldiers in the hall of the schools, the other detainees in the other classrooms uh, leave the classrooms in a group of five or three or two and after that i could hear uh, a screaming or crying uh, blows and uh, automatic fire and it was a uh, constant until midnight
0: this cycle kept repeating the entire night Bosniak's being ordered to leave the classroom the cries of the men the gunfire and then again and again Nejad knew that at some point his turn would come. And hours into the night, in this classroom filled with men, Nejad suddenly recognised one of them. It was his uncle, the one he lost in the chaos on the very first night of the march, when the Bosnian Serbs attacked the waiting column. And as he was reuniting with him, Bosnian Serb soldiers came into the room.
2: And uh, in that moment, one of the Serb soldiers entering the classroom and saying, uh, please prepare for Red Cross, Red Cross is coming to register you for exchange. But uh, it wasn't true. They just wanted to uh, make us calm because people wanted to escape, people wanted to, to jump through the windows. In that moment, people accepted it. They hoped that they could be saved, and uh, they actually didn't want to accept that uh, fact that they could be killed. They couldn't uh, accept uh, the death as a reality. People were waiting for for the Red Cross, including me as, as well, and I asked my uncle, Will we go together, two of us? Because they, later they said that in a group of two, people should leave the classroom. And uh, I'm asking uh, my uncle at that moment to leave uh, both of us together, but he refused. He said, no, 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 no. And he didn't want uh, to leave with me and uh, he remained there in the classroom. Probably he was aware of the situation and uh, that we will be killed in a few moments, and uh, he didn't want uh, to be together with me. Soon after that, that I'm leaving with, with uh, someone else. But uh, then I found uh, myself in the hall of the school, and uh, <laughs> I'm waiting for Red Cross. But the Serb soldiers were waiting for us, ready, and uh, one of them said to me to take off my clothes to the waist. The, also my my shoes, other soldier beside him was ready and waiting for me to tie me, and uh, he tied my hands behind my back, and uh, then I was pushed in the next classroom and. Uh, That classroom was without light. There were clothes and uh, shoes left behind people who had already killed, who had already taken the mass execution. And uh, soon after, when they finished, they ordered us to leave the the school. And leaving the school, I'm going uh, with my head bent down. without a wish for anything at that moment. Probably I realized uh, it was the end, uh, but leaving the school, something was uh, sticky underneath my feet. It was blood, it was human blood, uh, left behind people who were already killed.
0: The soldiers led Nejad's group to the trucks one last time. This time, the drive only took a few minutes.
2: Uh, It is difficult to describe that moment. I just uh, thought about that. I will die fast uh, without suffering. And uh, I think it will not last for so long. And uh, I was so sorry to die without a drop of water. And uh, I just wanted to have a drop of water at that moment. And uh, all the people, were asking for water, many of them were hiding, uh, and I were hiding uh, on the truck behind the others. Probably a few more seconds, and uh, when there was no more place for hiding, I jumped out uh, in a group of five, and uh, then they are saying, uh, find a place, find a place, I don't know, what they are talking about, what place, what place? And at that moment, probably I stopped to think about myself. I began to think of my mother. I thought that she never would know where I would end up. Walking there, I noticed the dead body. I noticed the rose in front of me. And uh, probably I was shocked at that moment that I uh, never that I can never remember the moments when I was hit. When they opened fire, when they started the fire, I just remember I was lying there. I was shivering and I was trembling and uh, bullets were hitting everywhere around me. Bullets whizzing around me and I'm waiting for next one to come and hit me, and uh, already I was hit, uh, but I don't remember how it was, and uh, it was unbearable for me, and uh, I felt a uh, smell of bullets and gunpowder or something like that, and uh, people were crying everywhere around me, but uh, just waiting to die, and. Uh, I'm looking at the people on my right side, uh, they are falling down. And later, when they put next line behind uh, me, the the one bullet uh, hit my uh, left foot, and I remember that (laughs) moment. Then I just wanted to die. I just wanted to die. Then I just wanted, I just prayed God to die. Then I never could imagine that I could survive. My body was hit everywhere, and uh but uh, even in a such situation, in a such state, probably you have somewhere deeply inside you a uh, wish to to, to, to survive.
0: Nejad and the men in his group were shot down. The next group of men after them was executed in the same spot as well. Sometime after, Nejad, barely staying conscious and surviving, saw the feet of a Bosnian-Serb soldier stepping into his field of vision. He was checking that all the men were dead.
2: I was silent because maybe I had a wish to survive. Actually, I was waiting to be killed, and uh, I was closing my eyes waiting to be, to be killed. Uh, but he didn't notice me, and he killed the man beside me who was moaning uh, loudly. Then uh, I could uh, hear uh, less and less voices, and in one moment there was any voice. And I thought to call him to kill me. I could never imagine that I could survive, <laughs> but they, they made a mistake and uh, because of, of that I I'm, uh, often uh, say that I'm their mistake because they didn't check all the bodies. One mistake made with me and uh, today I a survivor and I'm alive and uh, I'm uh, here to witness.
0: The soldiers left the execution site. A complete silence spread across the night and Najad was lying there among the dead bodies. I'm
2: dying at that moment and I'm just trying to turn my head to make it comfortable to die in easier way. And in that moment when I'm trying to turn my head, I noticed someone was moving in in front of me. And it was other survivor. And then I'm asking him, are you alive? Are you alive?" He said, yes, yes, I'm alive. Come and untie me, please. I'm replying, no, no, I, I, I can't move, I'm wounded. But he are begging, he are asking me. After that I'm trying, I'm rolling and uh, somehow I reach him and uh, his hands and his uh, uh, mouth in fact and he started to cut my ties with his teeth. We uh, helped each other somehow but uh, when uh, he finishing untying my hands another truck is arriving and I'm saying a truck is arriving. He is persuading me no no please untie me please untie me and I don't know how. I helped him to get up and he was walking over the bodies with his hands in his back. He had just a scar uh, on his head, small scar and uh, I just remembered that I couldn't get up and uh, then truck is arriving, but I'm trying to crawl and I'm crawling over the the bodies. I managed to reach the bushes and to hide in the bushes before the truck arrived there and they kept killing and shooting again.
0: They managed to get out of the sight of the Bosnian-Serb soldiers just as they were arriving with the next group of Bosniaks to be executed. In the masses of dead bodies on the ground, they didn't notice that two were missing. After witnessing several more executions in the same spot where they were meant to die, Nejad, who was hit and the man he helped rescue, now needed to get to safety to complete the march to Tuzla.
2: After that, I remember that we slept everywhere in the, the destroyed houses, in the streams, and uh, he would always go somewhere to find the prags and to put on my leg and uh, stop my bleeding, and uh, he would uh, go very often to find uh, some water, and uh, I would wait uh, for him for so long, and uh, in a moment I would think that he left me, but he would always come to me with some water. In the moments, uh, especially in the last days, I asked him, I begged him to leave me because there was no possibility for both of us to survive. He was physically uh, stronger, but for me, I couldn't move, and I would say to him, Please leave me and go. But he was a very brave man, and uh, he pushed me, and he begged me, he would say, please, please stand uh, one more day, please do it. And uh, so we helped each other in the end, and uh, I helped him after the shooting. But in the last days, in the last moments, he helped me. I just know... That if he hadn't survived, I never would have tried to leave the place because there was any possibility to leave the place.
0: You gave each other hope and uh, strength. Are you still in touch with this man who helped you get to safety?
2: Yes, yes, I uh, of course I I'm, I'm in touch with him and uh, but he doesn't live in Bosnia. he left lives far far from here talks about the moments of our wandering it is help for us as well and it is therapy for us and uh, and i'm always and i uh, meet him we talk about that and it is a part of our life together
0: they reached Tuzla. in the days when they were wandering through the forest Hassan was likely already close to reaching Tuzla himself. Remember, the night after the last ambush on the 16th of July, Hassan's group decided to press ahead on the last stretch of their journey.
1: Then we got to the road, Aswalt Road, which was leading to Tuzla and we ran for like 300 meters then. And we got to very close to the free territory. But there was a a military stronghold of the Bosnian Serb army there and the battle began between the Bosnian army from Tuzla and the the Bosnian Serb army at their stronghold. So we had to wait in another big stream for the battle to be over and for us to be able to pass through.
0: The battle lasted for the rest of the day. They spent it waiting in another stream and when night came, the battle paused. The next day, it continued for another few hours. Hassan just had to keep waiting in the stream for the fighting to end, for an opportunity to get through to freedom. And then the Bosnian-Serb stronghold fell and the road to Tuzla was finally clear.
1: Then, you know, we kept running and then we got to the first village on the free territory. And the locals there uh, were bringing out unbelievable amounts of food trying to feed us because we were literally walking death. And we had lots of wounded. Some even died on the free territory uh, into the laps of their loved ones. And uh, I remember I was both happy and sad. Happy that I survived and sad that many didn't and that my father and my twin brother and uncle were not there.
0: He had no idea what had happened to his father, his brother and his uncle who went on the march with him, but he was pretty sure that they were caught in the back part of the column and got captured. Once on free territory, the Bosnian government got buses to take the men who made it through the hills to Tuzla. This is where most of the refugees from Srebrenica were taken. On the bus, Hassan fell asleep, finally able to rest for the first time since the attack on Srebrenica began on the 6th of July.
1: And uh, the bus driver woke me up, and I saw the big city and the traffic, and I knew it was Tuesday. So the driver told me to get off uh, the bus stop, and which I did. As, you know, getting off the bus, uh, I was all in drugs and bruises, and um, I was rounded up by women maybe a a hundred of women from Srebrenica who waited for survivors to hear the news about their loved ones and I didn't know those women and I wouldn't know their husbands or sons so I just say you know really I don't know I don't I don't know them and even if I knew something bad I wouldn't tell them.
0: Hassan couldn't stop thinking about his family his mother and sister, who stayed at Potachari. He knew that if they were alive, they were probably also in Tuzla. And when he found out that most of the refugees were staying at a makeshift camp at Tuzla airport, he had to go and look for them.
1: I got on the train and I got to the airport. I saw endless, endless field of refugee tents, white refugee tents, and I said to myself, There is no way that I would be able to find anybody here, you know, and uh, somebody told me that there was a big tent where I could go and have my name announced so that that my family could, you know, if, if they are there, that they could come and meet up with me. So that's what they did, you know, they took a mic and they announced my name.
0: As soon as Hassan's name was announced, people who were waiting to hear news of their loved ones from the column flocked around him. They were asking him if he knew anything about their husbands or sons. He couldn't tell them anything, but tried to give them hope. And then, in the midst of the crowd, he spotted his mother, his younger brother, and his grandparents.
1: And I realized that my father, my twin brother, my uncle were not there. Of course, you know, they they hugged me and we hugged, Of course, they were very, very happy because they they couldn't believe that I survived because I was very thin and very, very you know skinny, underfed. I mean, they were very, very happy, very happy, and they they asked me about you know the whereabouts of, of my father and my my twin brother and uncle, and um, I and I told them what I what I what I knew, and I was I tried to encourage them to tell them that you know they will show up, even though I, I mean, I couldn't know, but uh, I uh, assumed that they will not survive.
0: Neither Hassan nor Nejad nor any of the refugees from Srebrenica who managed to get to Tuzla had any way of knowing what happened to the men who hadn't returned from the march yet. It took Hassan five days to reach Tuzla, but other men would keep trickling in from the forest for weeks to come. Thousands of them would never return. They would die in the same fashion as Hassan and Najad almost did, in mass executions or killed in the forest trying to get away. Tuzla was the city where their wives, parents, and kids were waiting for them. It's where Kader, Kadifa, and Yasmin were also waiting, hoping that their men who joined the column would come back. But it would be years Decades even, before the survivors of the Srebrenica genocide found out what happened to their loved ones. Those days were painful, agonising, sad, sleepless. We were waiting, hoping, but the hope disappeared.
1: When I looked into the first grave, it was profoundly shocking to see the indignity of these poor souls where their bodies were in mud, co-mingled with one another and in a dreadful state.
0: The Survivor's agonizing wait for closure is next week on Untold Killing. Untold Killing is a co-production of Message Heard and Remembering Srebrenica. It's written, produced and edited by Jake Otayevich Kate Williams is the producer for Remembering Srebrenica. Sandra Ferrari is the executive producer. Our consultant producer is Nadan Hadjic. A huge thank you goes to Elmina Kulesic for consulting on the show and for working closely with survivors. The theme music is by Matt Huxley. If you'd like to see all the video footage that we mentioned in this episode or read accounts of more Srebrenica survivors, go to srebrenica.org.uk forward slash podcast. And if you've enjoyed listening to Untold Killing so far, please leave us a rating and a review in your podcast app and tell others about the podcast. It will help get the important story of Srebrenica to more listeners. My name is Alexandra Bilic. Untold Killing will be back next week on Thursday.